Hello, welcome to Dyslexia Explored. My name is Darius Nomderon, your host, and today we're going to do something a little bit different. Although we're Dyslexia Explored, we're going to uh, hear a story about autism this week. I just couldn't pass up this opportunity to speak to a single mum who's a former secondary school teacher in English and Spanish in Las Vegas, Nevada, and she's here to share her autism story. It's quite remarkable and fascinating, and I'd like to introduce you to Stephanie Hill. Hi, Stephanie. Hi, Darius. Thank you for having me. I'm really looking forward to hearing your full story. I've just heard snippets, and uh, I know I'm probably going to cry a little bit at some points of this story. I've got a, a tissue to hand right here, just uh, in, in readiness. I think I'm really looking forward to hearing the, the, full, the full timeline of, of your son. Great, thank you. I'm really happy to share it. He, he has a remarkable story. We've done some remarkable things. Well, we've got our usual questions where we ask people about their dyslexia story. So we're going to mm -hmm. change that a little bit this time and, and talk about an autism story because there are significant differences between autism and dyslexia, but there are sometimes overlaps and it's not completely easy to completely understand it. And so it's quite nice to explore a little bit of that. And we'll do that in the middle of this episode once we've kind of heard the whole story. So let's launch into those questions. Where, what was life like before your autism story began? Give us a picture of life before, and then we'll go into what woke you up to the autism. Great, beautiful. Um, our story is fairly typical. It, he was a, he was a, a healthy natural delivery and he met all the milestones without a problem in fact it was it was pretty amazing when he was tiny maybe 6 months old i started because i um i have lived in latin america and i'm fluent in spanish i wanted him to be um fluent as well so i i taught him a couple of things in spanish when he was 6 and 7 months old when i would say beso which means kiss he would give you a kiss. So he'd lean into your lips and he'd give you a kiss. Or if you turned your cheek, he'd kiss your cheek. And I would say ojitos, which means little eyes. And I would blink my eyes and he would blink his eyes. Um, and then my favorite one was tope. Tope means like a bump. But um, because I had lived in rural agricultural northern Mexico, it's what it's what sheep did to one another with their heads. They'd give you a head bump. And so he, ah. would, he would lean over. If I would say tope, he would lean over and he'd bump my forehead. This was at six and seven months. And he picked it up really quickly, almost immediately. I mean, the kid was, the baby was super precocious. Um, at about nine months, he was able to identify me as mama very clearly talking. And shortly after that, bye-bye. And he'd move his little fingers to wave bye-bye. By about 14 months, everything shut down. He had that vacant look in his eyes. He was incredibly, well, I, you know, I would kind of refer to him as a Tasmanian devil. He didn't walk. He, he ran. He started walking at 11 months. And by 14 months, he was running around and he had no ability to focus. This was, I don't, you know, I don't know what it was like in Great Britain, but this was corresponding with 
uh, at a time where there was a, a, a huge new wave of autism getting diagnosed in, in the States. And, and, I, and I knew it. I knew it. I guess he was probably 15 years old, 15 months old rather, and I consciously tried to sit him down to have him learn his eyes and his nose and his mouth to point to them, and he couldn't do it. I would hold his face and, and have him look at mine, which I had to do. I had to hold him, and he was just, he was, he was perfectly confused, and I will never forget that day, 14, 15 months, and I had him um, sitting on the bed and I, and I knew I'd lost him. And in fact, I had that beautiful precocious baby was gone. And he had that, that vacant distant look that is pretty typical of, of people with severe autism. I was in denial for a long time until uh, a couple things transpired and and then I started to move aggressively with the new life that we had. So, and that, yeah, please. So that sounds like you're moving into sort of the wake up call phase. So you were in denial, and what kind of woke you up to, you know, taking some action or realizing what was actually happening? I have a good friend. We were at the, actually, it was her father's second um, wedding. Her, her mother had passed. She comes from a very large family. I'm very close, had been very close with all of them. She had several, yeah, three siblings who have children on, on the autism spectrum, children who've been diagnosed with ASD, autism spectrum disorder. Anyway, she came up to me at that reception. And at that point, my son was almost three. He was probably two years, 10 months. And so now we're, you know, if, if, if you do the calculation, I'm almost, we're almost 18 months into autism. P prior to that time, after I'd, you know, been um, worried about him initially about 14, 15 months until my friend spoke with me at this wedding reception, you know, I was, I was desperate. I knew in my gut, I knew, I knew that this was autism. I did not want to recognize it because if you read any of the descriptions of autism, it's pretty horrifying, especially since I'd had a child that was so bright, precocious, um, really attentive. Anyway, at this wedding reception, she came up to me as my little, my little boy was running around completely disengaged from anybody and running through that reception. She said, to me, she said, Stephanie, you need to have him tested. He looks like he, ha he acts like he has autism. He looks like he has autism and something is wrong. Of course, I hated her <laughs> mm. because I did, you know, who wants to hear that? Um, and it's a brave and frankly, person. I, yeah, it's a brave she's person, a brave person. To, to say that because if you're friends and you say something like that, it can be really taken the long, wrong way, I imagine. And, you know, well, yeah, in, in all honesty, that type of courage is really, really the truest form of friendship. And yeah. so, and so to get a diagnosis, it's become much easier, although I don't, I don't know that 
that not all doctors necessarily qualify and and that and that's not and that's not true completely but at the time so my son is now 15 he was diagnosed at 3 years 4 months and i could have taken him to a specialist it would have been very very difficult to get into at that point like a, a pediatric neuropsychologist there are very few professionals who were diagnosing at that point of course almost none of them covered by insurance here in the states and mm. a very long waiting list well it was already we were already three years four months when i took him into uh, a division of the school district here that had a a three team and and that's probably the the best way to get a diagnosis is a multidisciplinary approach there was a speech pathologist and a social worker uh, a sociologist social worker and then i'm trying to remember what other there was one other person there were three people who came to the table they did testing with him and and he was um diagnosed at 3 years 4 months with with severe autism Mm -hmm. At that point, we'd been in speech therapy for probably, oh, probably almost 18 months, twice a week, a half an hour. And so the, you, you were already getting some sort of help through speech therapy for a year and a half before yeah. you had that conversation with your friend and then went to I was. Uh, get him assessed? Okay. I Yeah, I was. Uh, they had done very little. They had done very little. He'd had, you know, he'd had language, minimal language, because we saw him, we saw him showing symptoms at about 14 months. He'd had mama and babai, but then he lost it all. And in those 18 months time, he had learned about 12 words. So when he was assessed at three years, four months, he had learned, this is with speech therapy, 18 months of speech therapy, again, only an hour a week, but nonetheless, if a child's neurotypical, you're going to be able to do some amazing things. Um, he had about 12 words, and he, and he still did not call me mom. He still didn't mm. call me, he still didn't call me mom. In fact, that's sort of, he didn't, yeah, he didn't, he didn't call me anything. And, and later when we started, um, when we got him into a special program, in school, which of course, if you're going to effectively treat children, young children with autism, it needs to be done one-on-one. -on -one. Well, you know what? It's it's not covered under insurance at this at this point. When he was, this is 2007, um, and the school district down here had been fairly progressive, and and he was placed then in a um, in a classroom, an autism classroom pre-kindergarten um, and there were eight there were eight in the classroom with two aides and 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 I'm sure he made some progress but truly the big progress comes with one-on-one -on -one therapies uh -huh. we started that a year after that so this is where the challenge comes in our questions you know what was over the last now 11 years what would you say have been Correct the main challenges that you've faced and soon I'm going to mm -hmm. ask you what were the rewards but what were the the challenges that you faced services getting services the truth is we were incredibly fortunate because we were able to get services so he started he started ABA 
which is the only scientifically proven method for intervention to help children work off the autism spectrum. If a child is diagnosed with autism and receives no services, there's a 100% chance that they will need full institutional care as an adult. If they get what is, I think, 25 hours of service, there's a 50% chance. And then 25% with services, they can go on to lead independent lives. But getting those services is very difficult. Finding the professionals is very difficult. And then paying for them. How are you going to, you know, how are you going to pay for it? We started therapy at ABA therapy in June of 2008 when he was just over four years old. And we ended up, this is a long story short, we did 25 hours a week of ABA services where therapists would come into our home. We went with Lovas. Ivar Lovas was out of UCLA and he's the one actually that was able to do the big studies through UCLA that showed how effective ABA is, but very specifically Lovas ABA, ABA. We had home services and for seven years we had 25 hours a week of one-on-one -on -one therapy in addition to school. So after that seven years time for three years we had 10 hours a week and for 10 years straight before school, two hours before school, we were doing therapy, truly before, before the rooster woke up. Wow. And then for so seven would, years. You would wake up to a couple of hours of therapy before going doing a, a full school day. Yep, that's right. From, I would leave, frankly, kind of in age? session. Um, he was four. So he sat down at the therapy table at four, and he walked away from it at age 10. Excuse me, 14, 10 years later. 10 years later. So when you say, you know, what are the struggles? <clears throat> Those are the struggle was was finding services, getting the funding for the services, and then maintaining the services. At one point, How much did it the cost? state of Oh my goodness, Darius, 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 a fortune. Um and yet far less than it would have cost in 2007. The state legislature of the state of Nevada approved what was the Autism Treatment Assistance Plan, ATAP, and they set aside money because at this point autism was not covered by insurance. So initially we were able to take advantage, well not initially, for 10 years we were able to take advantage of those ATAP monies. Of course as as word of the um, the effectiveness got out, and as the diagnosis has continued to explode, those monies grew tighter and tighter. There was about a, a five-year period where we were also double-funded by the school district in what was known as a home program. Be for a myriad of reasons, that home program has been eliminated. But I would tell you, in the 10-year period, that we were funded uh, in part through the state with ATAP, in part through the school district, which of course is state monies. It was over $400,000 of cash money 
Um, and I paid about a third of that over about a 10-year period. In wow. 2009, we were very active in the legislative session. We have a biannual uh, legislature. It meets every two years. Nevada, up until really a, a, a short time ago, was a very rural state. We're no longer a rural state. Las Vegas sits at 3 million people now. Um, a good majority of them transplants from all over the country, but but to a large degree, Southern California. The same is true in Reno, um, which is near the state capital of Carson City. Anyway, in 2009, we, we, we helped to, no, we produced. I have a friend who's a, a filmmaker, a director. We made a small, a short 11-minute film about how effective ABA therapy is to hope to to hope to garner more money for the ATAP funds, but then also to get the legislators to legalize, to mandate that it be, co it be covered under the umbrella of, of insurance within the state. Well, long story short, that effectively has not happened even eight years later because it, they gave it two years to roll in. And and here and and here we are in 2019, and the truth is, insurance is still dragging their feet. And 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 even if they weren't, we do not have the. This is true internationally. I was just at a a U. Excuse me, an international autism summit. You know, fortuitously, it was in Las Vegas. The need for professionals is enormous. There aren't enough trained people. Um, yeah. Now that these services have moved over into an insurance model rather than a parent-led uh, model, parent-guided, parent-chosen, parent-guided, because the tutors were paraprofessionals who were consulted by legitimate professionals. Uh -huh. um, at any rate, that, that model is now no longer being used. And so what had been 400000 in terms of money, um, somebody's paying it somewhere, would be at this point well over a million. Wow. But here's the amazing thing. The yeah. kid learned to talk. The kid learned to talk. And we went, we went in what were essentially year, uh, about year and a half increments um, of progression where he was able to, where he was able to get, uh, make new strides with language. We were nine months just breaking behaviors. This is behavioral therapy. And so we we're trying to get him to attend and focus. And his mind was nuts. So could you, for someone who I can't quite imagine what's going on in this therapeutic process of ABA, you know, could mm -hmm. you kind of give us a, a little sample of what sure. it was like in the various sort of age stages? Because sure. I, I know at one point you talked about this story about someone did a recording of what he was saying yes. and can you tell us that story and what age sure. was he and so yeah, yeah i will i'd be happy to so initially probably the first nine months what we were doing and the term is extinguish extinguish behaviors he was like the tasmanian devil he was just you know he could not attend not even for a moment um and so what they were doing was making him sit in a seat and asking him to do simple tasks. ABA is referred to as discrete trial. So you give them a single task and you have them do that. And then you reward it. You reward it if they don't. 
uh, or if they do, if they do what you ask, like even at that point, like it was literally touch red, touch green, they'd show him red, they'd show him green. And then he would have to touch green. Um, for nine months, he was completely resistant to doing anything. And so we were spending, we spent hundreds of hours, sincerely hundreds of hours, just getting him to attend. Um, in hindsight, I have some mixed emotions about that. But, but, we, but we had to do that. And discrete trial all along the way. That was, so the first nine months. Then, then the next nine months, we moved into probably what were single word, not nine months, but the next year and a half, we moved into what was echolalia. And echolalia is when a, a, a child repeats what you say. In fact, during, during that entire time, I called him baby. And so he would call me baby. He didn't call me mom. He, we'd long since lost the ability for him to call me mom or mama. So he called me baby. And he called me baby probably until he's about two years old. Then we went into a phase for about 18 months, which is referred to as gibberish. And that's what it sounds like. It sounds like gibberish. It just, you know, you, you can't make anything out. And that was, that was when I was telling you, I was on the we, I was on the floor with him and the therapist and we were using a, a voice recording box simply as a reinforcer, like a, um, like a treat if he did something good. So we'd record him and we'd either slow his voice down or speed it up. Well, we recorded him one time and we were playing with this box with him and we slowed his voice down and what we had recorded was him saying over and over, I'm so sorry, please be happy. I'm so sorry, please be happy. You would never have been able to distinguish that as he, you know, we're talking regularly. Wow. How did you feel when you heard that? I was devastated. I was devastated. I mean, it, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because here, here's a person inside. And of course, that's that's the nature of my son. He wants to, you know, he's, and I, and I think the therapy in part did this to him, you know, it extinguished his own will, which to some degree was very good, but he just wanted to make sure that everybody was happy, especially me. And it's heartbreaking. You would not have been able to identify that he was, you know, that there was a person locked in there. And I think that's, a, I think that's true for a good many people with autism. I think that's where the wild behaviors come from. They have something to communicate and they can't. They don't yeah. have the language to do it. And so they and so they blast out. Wow. So that was a year and a half. And then we went into a year and a half of probably we started to get language and we moved up into a single word and then, and like single word utterances, and then a couple words together, but not not truly creative or productive language. And then we went into about a year and a half where he had scrambled syntax. He had complete syntax, you know, subject, verb, object, essentially, but it was all scrambled. And we were there for a long time. And then we started working on ironing out the syntax and adding and 
and adding, you know, and and adding more sophisticated ideas and more and more descriptive language to whatever it was that he wanted to say. He finally by age 8 had he had he had full he, he had language at at age 7 8. He's now 15. So he's had language about about 7 or 8 years. So give us and, an example of scrambled syntax. What does that sound like? What, what how would it Uh-huh. Not unlike Yoda. Yeah. Go, I want store. Uh-huh. Go, I want store. So I want to go to the store. Yes. And 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 so we would have to we would have to move that out. Of course, it wasn't simply language that was affected. It it was it was his entire cognition. We spent two and a half years trying to get him to identify addition one-to-one correspondence with every kind of manipulative that you can imagine. But here's the challenge. Even math is language. You know this as well as anyone. (laughs) Even math is language. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com, which helps you organize yourself creatively with a productivity system for Apple devices. You know, I'm thinking about the listeners um, who are listening into this and and they're thinking more about dyslexia maybe, but mm-hmm. I know a number of them will be dealing with autism as well in some way. Mm-hmm. There's always a tension when parenting a child with extra needs to know how much do you just leave alone and you know, wait for them to eventually get it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And how mm-hmm. much do you push them, basically, mm-hmm. press them to, you know, develop something? And and you're, you know, quite clearly gone to that, to had to do that the to extreme. an extreme here. You know, yeah. can you give us a little bit of, you know, of your story from the inside? You know, what's going sure. on inside of you as a parent when you're, I mean, your hours and hours of tutoring when, you know, I imagine sometimes the child doesn't want to be doing that. And you must be questioning yourself, is this the right thing to do and so forth? Right. Or am I guessing? No, no, that that, that is the most critical. Darius, you are hitting on what is the most critical component of this, of this, you know, I mean, this, our story is autism, but, but I understand, especially as an educator, how much my students with dyslexia have had to push. This is the most important question. This is the most important question. You have to identify very solidly who you are and what your values are. And you have to have a really strong connection to to that and to your gut. It made it much easier for me because, you know, there was a time when I feared, and I've, I've appeared before the state legislature more than a dozen times. And, you know, the, the fear was always, you know, these, these people are going to be institutionalized. I've, as I've gotten older and I see... Um, I see corruption inherent within any bureaucratic system, um, and I see the the expense that this would be. The truth is, most of these people will not be in institutions. 
they will either be with their families or they will be homeless. That's the, that, that, that is my sincere belief. So early on, I knew because I don't, because, you know, I, um, I have one sibling. I'm essentially estranged from him. You know, God bless him. He's, um, he is probably a, a victim of PTSD. Um, I, I have very little connection with him. I have essentially no family. And so my thought early on was this kid has got to be independent. Uh. And for, for us, because I come from, I come from really hardworking, very morally grounded people, incredibly conservative, n- not only in social values, but also with regard to, you know, a consumer um, lifestyle. How ironic that I live in Las Vegas. That's not our life. We are very service oriented. We're devoutly religious, uh-huh. even though we're all very well educated as well. Um, and so, so it was hard. It was really hard. I, I can tell you this with children with autism, they won't get better. They won't just sort of work it out on their own. How difficult was it though, to not let him do something that, that the rest of the world engages in, which is usually leisure of some sort, you know, I mean, sincerely yeah. in Western culture, uh, our entire culture spins around leisure. Well, Ours never has, and and that's okay. And now that my son has language, and now that we are just continuing to build and move that language, you know, we talk about this all the time. It's not who we are. It's not how we live. It's not what we do, and that's okay. You know that we we live, we we live in the United States, and we we love and honor freedom, and everybody gets their own you know, gets their own crack at whatever they want to do. And we have a very different life and it's mostly work and, and we're okay with that. Right. So what I'm hearing is that you saw the risk of not doing something as being either institutionalized or being so alienated from society that you, you become homeless, you know, you know, that that's motivated you to say, no, we've got to do something about this now because the long-term cost of this is way higher than the short-term cost. Yes. Yes. And in so doing, and I, you know, I, look, I'm, I'm a bright woman. I have some good degrees. This, this beautiful boy is frankly the result of a, um, a Fulbright grant when I was living and working in northern Mexico, I like to say this, that I fell in love with the only person who was nice to me in an entire country. But I was a very capable woman. I, um, the high school where I taught was regularly in the top 100. Um, three years ago, it was the top ACT school in the nation. I mean, I was, I was a professional woman, right, yes. capable. And I, I used to own my own business. I, but I saw very clearly that my role as his mother to do everything I could was the only thing that was important. Despite the fact that, you know, women are promised we can have it all and do it all. That's not true. And there are times when I, when I lament, (laughs) um, whatever that, that life might have been. Yeah. But, but you know what? 
I, I stand by this and, you know, this, and again, I live in a free country and, and I'm able to live as I want. I don't think there's anything more important than being a completely committed parent. That, that's it. That's your most important job. It just so happens that my kid, <laughs> that my son required um, an extreme amount, requires an extreme amount, which means that, you know, most of my needs, wants, desires, ambitions are, are not met. I'm happy. I'm happy to be clean. <laughs> I'm happy to be clean um, and get a nice haircut. And, and that's, and, and there you go. And it's okay. Wow. It's okay. I think, I think so many parents will resonate with you. I, I know personally, we've got a daughter who's chronically ill, um, 20 years old. And, you know, the impact of looking after a, 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 a person with ME, for example, it mm -hmm. is. Tell is me what ME is. Them. Oh, mental illness. Myelagic encephalomyelitis. It's basically chronic fatigue, a form of chronic oh, fatigue. Very good. So okay. No, basically, know. it's for her and for the others that are unseen, they're basically, it takes yeah. 10 times as much effort to do ordinary things. So going up a flight of stairs feels like going up 10 flights of stairs. Mm -hmm. Washing feels like you've, you know, washed yourself and done 10 loads of washing by hand sort of thing and mm -hmm. so forth so just getting the basics done in life means you're exhausted yeah and for some people it lasts uh, a few years and up until now most people who have heard about me have heard it from those people who have had it for a few years and then got over it and got back into society but there right. are many who don't get back into society and have it long, long term, even for life. Right. And so my daughter's one of them currently. And I, I know that many parents who are experiencing this kind of level of requirement of sacrifice, really, that, that's being asked of them would resonate with, with you and your circumstances. Yeah. Well, I say, I say keep on going. Anchor into yeah. who you are. And you know, honestly, um, there are some real blessings and benefits of social media. There aren't many. Finding you is one of them. But just know that a good majority of what you're going to see on social media and, and even in mainstream news, is not tr it's not true. And it certainly isn't necessarily your truth. I, I, I have a chronic illness myself that I'm not able to that I'm not able to attend to in the way that I need to. I was diagnosed nine years ago with chronic Lyme disease and I just keep going through these mitigating goodness, protocols really? that sort of, yeah, they keep me on my feet, but I am not, I, in terms of physical health, I'm the one that's sick, but here's, here's, here's the, here's my truth, Darius. Here's my truth. And, and I join with you in this. I'm going to do whatever I need to do for my son. Because because he is going to be and the you know the the expression is what is it? I'm going to even forget this expression best outcome he's going to have the best outcome and we're going to find mm. a way whatever that is we're going to find a way when when I serendipitously stumbled upon you and your mapping and and the way that you that the tutor or the parent assists 
in modeling and showing the person who has dyslexia or in my son's case, language, a language processing disorder. Uh, the, the, that it's it's serendipity. Uh, of course, I have. Of, of course, I have to continue, and I'll find a way. I mean, I I may not, I may not extinguish my Lyme symptoms, which are horrible. But I'll tell you what, I can, I can mitigate them, and I will stay vertical, and that's my truth. And and wow. we are capable of so much more than what societal norms. And victimization would sort of prescribe for us. No, 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 no. I don't buy it. Well, that's an interesting topic you're kind of touching in on, and and I think it's a bit of a hot topic. The victimization side of things. It it can be quite easy to fall into a victim mentality. This, you know, why is this happening to me, right. and so on. And I talk a little bit more about that. It, it's it's a it's a hard you you just said it it's a politically hot topic I think I think there are many people in power many political agents that would pander to people and instill that and instill that notion you and I are having this conversation and if there are people that benefit from it sincerely I'm not a victim I'm not a yeah. victim I'm not yeah. And my son isn't a victim, nor is he a means to an end for anyone. Because despite the fact that, that um, I live in a very average home and drive a used car and am sort of average in most ways socioeconomically, uh, thank God I could have been impoverished, but I set my mind to that, that I wouldn't be, that we would maintain our dignity. If we can, if we can contribute to a story that builds and benefits. We're not a vic We're not victims. We're not. I don't. I Thank don't you. believe that. Thanks. So, I mean, the next step is. I, I think there's so much more within the story, obviously, of the challenges. But we've kind of got a, a picture of him start having language, and then now at 14. You know, where is he now at 14? And what? Let's move into what rewards have you gained or maybe you've not quite got into the reward stage yeah. yet but you know um where where are you now and and where where are you going thank you for that question one of the things i would want to underscore is all those challenges have been rewards i don't know if i've been able to portray it but i can tell you this i'm indomitable and so is he sincerely um and there, and without this challenge I would never have been. I am far more focused on other people and authentic and harrowing and harboring difficulties and how to help them. That is a blessing and benefit. But in terms of you know where we are practically and where he's going, let, let me tell you this morning, you and I started our conversation at about 9 a.m. Well, at about, and I need to get him out the door at... 8:25. Well, at 8:20, he's he was assigned in his 8th grade. This is the year before we enter high school. He was assigned 8th grade this really big project, a biography about his grandfather. Well, one of one of the components of the project was an 8-paragraph essay after we had interviewed him to identify a theme for his life and then also identify three stories. 
Obviously, I wrote all that with him, but he understood everything. Another component of that assignment was he had to write what, what the teacher has identified as a blackout poem. So you take a poem and then you pare it down to the theme of the, of the story. So as he interviewed his grandfather, my father, the theme of his life or his life story was resilience. And I found a wonderful piece from Walt Whitman from Leaves of Grass. It was a lengthy poem and, or a piece, because the truth is it's a book, you know, Leaves of Grass is huge. But I, I picked, a, I picked a, a lengthy piece for him, my son, and I said, I think you're going to be able to identify some really amazing thoughts and images from this piece. I said, I want you to take it and I want you to black out everything that you think is non-essential to have it come down to represent that idea of resilience. Well, speaking of resilience, that God-blessed kid <laughs> spent probably four hours. Now, if you type out this poem, it's going to be about a page and a half, okay? Yes. Well, he trimmed it down. He trimmed it down to, I don't know, half that. And it was brilliant. It was brilliant. So he really understands language. And where we are right now is we are continuing to build. That's where we are. We're continuing to build vocabulary. And we're continuing to develop um, an understanding of syntax. That's super satisfying. Um, where we are now is I have a 15-year-old young man who is far more interested in helping other people than he is in playing Fortnite. I have a young man who, who despite the fact that I can be a little bit foul-mouthed, nothing like that ever comes out of his face. He's incredibly patient, he's incredibly generous, and he can outwork anybody. And he knows how to have, have fun. You know, I mean, I, I took him the other night to go see the new um, Captain Marvel, and he's an MCU, Mar Marvel Comic Universe. He's an MCU freak. You know, he'll, uh -huh. he'll, he'll, you know, he'll start talking about it. I'm like, okay, I've had my fill. I'm done. I'm done with that. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, that, that's, that's where we are. But, but an idea that I would want to maybe project and that we could really develop if, if we had the time is that the trial itself is the reward because yeah. we are so disconnected from and I would put this in all caps, the good and the truth in our world. We've been, we've been sold to think that stuff is important and that physical appearances and presentations dictate everything. They don't. They don't. So when you think about the four-year-old who is at risk of, 100% risk of being institutionalized, if there was no inter interventions, you know, are, are you there now, would you say? And it's just a matter of, up, you know, like, what, what's, what's at risk now? What's at risk now? Well, by nature, you know, in order to, in order to move through this, I don't think there's anybody that would question that I've had to have a lot of faith. Uh -huh. We're devoutly religious. 
but, but by nature, I'm not an incredibly faithful person, and I still really am fearful of things. And then I, you know, I have to say to myself, he's had language eight years. Where would any third, fourth grader be? Right? Yeah. And so what I have to do is I have to, I have to keep reminding myself, here's where we've been. Here are the doors that have opened. Here's, you know, here's today's serendipitous moment. Do not doubt that those will continue to follow. Do not yeah. doubt that those will continue to follow. You know, I, I'm well educated. It, you know, I, I, I would never have imagined having a child that wouldn't have gone to college. The truth is he, he probably will be able to. And the irony is I don't know that I'll want him to go because I don't believe with some of the, I don't believe in some of the political undergirdings that at least in America d d dictate everything in higher education. I mean, when the main line in front of my house broke, um, the sewage line, and thank God I belong to a homeowners association because a nine foot hole was $15,000. Well, guess what? Maybe I think I'm okay with my kid being a plumber. <laughs> I think yeah. I'd like for him to be a plumber. Uh huh. I, I love that. I, we just got uh, a, an estimate given on, on the house to get painted, the interior. This is a, it's a 1,400 square foot home. It's, t it's teeny tiny, 1450 It was $2,500. If the kid's uh -huh. a painter, mazel tov, beautiful, God bless him. I mean, I so don't, what you're really saying I want him to be a good man. You, you've, you've got to the point where he can be that person that has a, a, a solid prospect of being independent. Darius, I don't think we're there yet, but okay. but I think we're going to get there. Again, only eight years of language and yes. only really eight years of engaging in the world. You know, like he's beautifully my, um, my son who is, um, his name is JC. He's John Carlos, but uh, he's known as JC. So, so he's learning, he, he, he's never been socially inept. He didn't have those um, sort of typifying behaviors of what are often associated with Asperger's, right? Uh -huh. He gets people. He reads facial. He can read um, nonverbal communication very well. But he's getting savvier about it. You know how we all have to be. Yeah. He can read through lies. He, can, he knows when somebody's, you know, not being totally forthcoming, which is glorious, right? It's glorious. Brilliant. Um, yes. He needs more practical experience in the world, and he needs more language. Um, so where would any eight-year-old be? So that's an interesting um, way, way of looking at it. So if you, you're kind of thinking of his timeline of development, not in terms of his chronological age, but in terms of his reading age or his speaking age. So as a speaker, he's at, you know, where a, a nine to 10 year old's experience of processing life by speaking out and thinking in words and so on. But mm -hmm. because he's delayed for a little while, he, he's doing that at 15 instead of nine. Right. Right. Is, that, that's where I hang. That's where I continue to hang my faith, which is wavering, yes. which is wavering often. You, no, 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 no. Usually, 
because everything you see and everything you read, I mean, the kid's 15 and he, and here he is and he can, and he can put together a paragraph, but he certainly couldn't put together an essay. Well, what eight-year-old could, except for yes. a very precocious one, congratulations. But yeah. I have had continuously have had to rebuff the world and expectations and diagnoses and frankly most of what medicine would purport about this i've had to completely dismiss it and find other resources every bit as viable that resonated with me as his mother who will know truth for for her son and move with that that's what we've done and, but let me tell you every day yeah. Yes. 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 And that's what I have to say. That's what I have to say out loud to myself. I have to close my eyes and shake my head and say, do not doubt this. Just keep plowing forward. Just do it. Yeah. Wow. Just do it. I, th I think one of the, one of the overlaps between your story and often a dyslexic story is, is that often as parents, we have to take a much longer term view for our child. And and not the kind of longer term view, which is, oh, eventually they'll get it, but understanding that their, you know, maturation um, and their uh, reading abilities and so on often blossom and solidify and, and, and grow stronger in their 20s rather than in their late mm -hmm. teens. Yes. I would interject here, too, that I've seen studies. So as an educator, I am perfectly aware that neurological development continues into mid-20s. But I've also, seen, I've also seen some studies that suggest that people with neurological challenges continue beyond that, beyond that, and, in, and right. as late as 30. Brain plasticity is real. It is uh -huh. real. And we could speak we could speak for hours. You know, we haven't touched on this. You and I have spoken about it, but I feel so strongly that dietary intervention uh, and, and those types of protocols, you know, everything you put in your mouth supports your body. Well, you need to make sure that and your gut, which work in tandem, the gut is the small brain that supports the cranium, right? And so if you continue to feed yourself educationally, but also, you know, nutritionally with all those good things, I just, I think our bodies and our brains were designed to work really well. There have been, you know, how the wrench comes in to cog the system, it, you know, that's another debate, but, but you're right. It, it is a long-term approach. And I fully anticipate, I really do, part of me, you know, by the time this kid is 30, he's going to be fine. He's never going to be a Rhodes Scholar. <laughs> and I'm grateful for that. But he'll be, he will be a productive, happy man, hopefully married with a family. And I, you know, hopefully I get to babysit those kids and cook for them and play with them. And, and maybe he'll paint your house for you. I hope so. I hate to paint. <laughs> yeah, well, that's right. That's right. I think, Stephanie, it's just, I know there there's more questions I normally ask, uh, but we've kind of gone uh, 
it's just been great seeing the full picture here and i is there i think let's sort of wind things this up in the next five minutes i'd like to just hand over to you and give is there anything you would like to share with that you haven't you've wanted to cover in this podcast Uh, any kind of messages or thoughts or things stories you wanted to cover sure i you know considering your audience and knowing how desperate people are you know i mike my son can read in terms of his fluency above grade level he reads beautifully he doesn't know what he's read and he can't write but i would you know i would tell you this i would tell you this i would tell all of your listeners this just you know don't give up don't mm-hmm. give up and you're not alone and those of us who've accomplished it you know we don't have a greater sense of peace or strength than anybody else we just refuse to give up and 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 with that mindset you know i don't i don't care if you're religious or not I think it's a universal law. I think that if you intend on finding solutions and if you pour your heart and soul into that and don't give up, you'll find them. You will find mm. the people. You will find the people. You will find the the ideas and the programs. You'll find everything to facilitate your next step. Don't doubt. Don't doubt that. I, I, yeah. I, that's what I would want everyone to understand because I know what it feels like to, to be hopeless. I, um, I, I've, I cycle through that every day. I cycle through that every day, but I will not give up. Never. And, and I guess that would be, that would be my, um, my message. Just keep digging and trying and, and, you know, Find your little tribe. It's going to be tiny. It's going to be teeny tiny. And they may be half, you know, halfway across the world, but just keep going. Well, actually, often we ask a question. I ask a question here, which is, what advice would you give yourself as a parent, either moving into the future or going into the past? If you were to send yourself uh, a card in Mm -hmm. time, what would it mm-hmm. say on the front of the card? And what message would it say inside if you were to send it back in time to yourself at some point in the past, which is probably very similar to what you've just said, but it's quite nice to frame mm. it in that way. What, what in advice a card. Would you, yeah, where would you go in time? To what point in time and in the past or even in the future? And what advice would you give yourself as a parent, you personally? Yeah. Wow. Let go of what you thought you wanted and allow yourself to be blessed with what you have. Wow. Yeah. Let go of what you thought you wanted. Yeah. And allow yourself to be blessed with to what be you bl- have. Yeah. Yeah. I think we get in our way because truly yeah. my life is nothing but just a huge blessing with this with this child yeah well i think um that's a great place to leave things stephanie beautiful darius thank you so much my pleasure thank you Mm -hmm. so listeners thank you very much for listening this has been great hearing stephanie 
the, there will be show notes for this as well. If anything that Stephanie's uh, linked to, we'll, we'll do some show notes. And if you're interested in mind mapping and graphic organization, things like that for dyslexia, this podcast is sponsored by Bullet Map Studio. Well, it's run by Bullet Map Studio. And uh, you can learn more about that at bulletmapstudio.com. And uh, you can find out more and look in the show notes for links to other links for what Stephanie's shared and uh, other interesting stuff. So see you next time. Bye. This podcast is sponsored by dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com. It's my day job when I'm not hosting this podcast. Tell me, do you know what you want to achieve in the workplace, but you're struggling with how to achieve it? Maybe you suspect some traits of dyslexia are getting in the way. Well, that's where dyslexia productivity coaching comes in because we give you a simple productivity system for your Apple devices that harnesses the creativity that comes with your dyslexia. It includes proven methods like note-taking, reminders, speech-to-text, mind-mapping, and more, all tailored to your needs. It'll free up your time and help you achieve outstanding results. Book a complimentary call to discuss it with me, and if you do it soon, I may also be available to coach you personally via Zoom. So don't be shy. Go to dyslexiaproductivitycoaching.com or swipe up and book it now.